So uh, those of you who caught our uh, first morning panel uh, certainly uh, heard a little bit um, from Kashmir Hill about uh, Clearview AI, a uh, 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 company that has risen to uh, surprisingly rapid prominence in the, uh, in the domain of face recognition, um, substantially on the back of um, acquiring uh, information um, that we've shared not for that purpose, um, with a variety of, of social media platforms. Um, so Freddie Martinez is uh, a, uh, uh, a policy analyst at uh, Open the Government who focuses on uh, issues around transparency and law enforcement reform. Uh, he's also been tracking uh, Clearview AI uh, fairly closely, um, and uh, he has some lessons he wants to share from the last two years of monitoring that company about the future of privacy. Freddie? Thanks, Julian, and thanks, Kata, for having us back. I think it's been two years since we last spoke about facial recognition um, here. Uh, that works. Great. So just about me, uh, as Julian said, I'm a policy analyst at Open the Government. We're a DC-based nonprofit. Uh, our coalition advocates for more open and transparent government. And my background is in technology, cybersecurity, before I started pivoting to policing and surveillance um, and uh, FOIA. So if we want to re rewind to about two years ago, the last time we were here, uh, we were hearing um, that about half of all Americans were in one form or another of some facial recognition database. We heard that the FBI had something like 650 million images in its uh, capacity to search. Um, and we were seeing that Congress at least was holding some uh, routine hearings on facial recognition technology and seemed to be interesting, interested in regulating it in some form or fashion. Um, and so in 2019, when I joined um, Open the Government, we started a project with Beryl, who's in the audience, uh, where we started doing a round of um, FOIAs to see what, what's, what's been missing. So we had heard, um, you know, that facial recognition was prolific in the, in the country, but we wanted to see what, uh, what we haven't, you know, we wanted to catch up the research. Um, so we sent hundreds of FOIAs uh, with, with MockRock and Open the Government, and, and one of the things that we found was, was this memo from Atlanta Police Department. And for those who send FOIAs routinely, you never get anything that's called attorney work product or privileged and confidential. Um, this was a memo from Kirkland and Ellis, which is a massive law firm. Um, and it was about Clearview AI, a company that we had never heard of. Um, and in particular, uh, reading through the memo, you know, I talked to an attorney friend who sort of started pointing out some key features about this, uh, other than the fact that it's, it's an attorney work client privilege. Um, so Kirkland and Ellis, massive law firm, um, this company that we had never heard of, Clearview AI, uh, the, the, the memo was from Paul Clement, who used to be Solicitor General of the U.S., so clearly a very senior partner at Kirkland and Ellis. Um, the date was 2019, um, and it was talking about the legal implications of Clearview. Um, so we, you know, from just looking at it, it's, this is clearly a very expensive memo. Um, it probably cost Clearview hundreds of thousands of dollars to get this uh, analysis, and they talk about uh, using user-uploaded images of faces in publicly available images. 
Um, and then at the very bottom, it talks about how uh, existing state biometric and privacy laws do not apply to the company, um, which is an incredible uh, analysis, I guess. <laughs> uh, and then um, the other thing that stuck out to us is that they said that uh, Clearview had collected billions of images. Um, so comparing that to the FBI, who says that they have 650 million images, um, and now we have billions of images. So, so clearly, we're talking about something that's on a different order, order of magnitude, right? And so, so Clearview AI, um, they claim that they have collected billions of images off of social media and that it sells access to those images to um, law enforcement. Uh, and then the fact that it claims that it's not subject to state laws like, like uh, the Biometric Information Privacy Act of Illinois, um, it was incredible. And, and some of the places that they claim to collect images from, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, uh, Instagram, SoundCloud, uh, just uh, LinkedIn, a bunch of places. Um, another thing about the company is that they claim that if you, for any reason, have your photo uploaded to the internet, that you've waived all kinds of privacy in your images. So let's say that we're going to um, Six Flags, for example, when someone takes a photo and I'm in the background and then that person uploads it to the internet, that somehow I've lost all interest in privacy of my, my image. Um, so there's kind of this very uh, strange way that they interpret consent. Um, and the other thing that's really important to understand is that when you sign up for social media, in general, social media requires some kind of identifier, uh, an, a face, uh, image, uh, email address, a phone number. So even if you set your profile to private, let's say I go to Facebook, create a new profile, upload my face, but I set the image to private, you're, you're still sort of in scope of collection from Clearview. Um, so uh, Kashmir Hill broke the story for the New York Times, um, and some of the major findings uh, was that you know they, they collected three billion images. Uh, now they claim that they're up to 10 billion images. Um, one thing that we found was that there were hundreds of police agencies using Clearview, and all that you had to do to gain access to the, to the, the software is you would just have to email them from a police department email address, and then they would just sort of give you access um, to the software. And the use of these sort of free trials to drum up business is something that we've seen in other contexts of surveillance technologies. So for example, license plate reader technology. Um, the fact that surveillance companies are giving away technology as a way of creating business for themselves has really sort of serious uh, public policy concerns, especially around the Fourth Amendment. And the fact that sort of private businesses sort of just get away from this just by giving away technology uh, is, is sort of one of the things that I think we need to grapple with and, and I think you know we've talked about already. Um, and one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is uh, after we broke, you know, the story broke, we had dozens of people, reporters, reaching out to us trying to find Clearview in their own backyard. And one of the things that we found is, um, one of the things that I kind of keep coming back to is that through our discussions, I think sort of our idea of how to think about Clearview has shifted significantly. Um, and that's kind of what I want to talk about a little bit briefly. Um, some fallout, obviously, is that uh, companies, uh, or sorry, uh, 
counties, cities, and states have started banning the technology. Um, governments have started uh, investigating the technology. I think uh, Canada called it a mass surveillance system that's uh, clearly illegal. Um, and the UK sort of says that Clearview uh, owes at least $20 million for violating privacy laws. So we've seen sort of uh, a huge amount of investigations and a huge amount of litigation around the company um, because of some of our investigations. And in fact, uh, the company even tried to subpoena uh, myself and uh, open the government uh, in one of its lawsuits. Um, this, they did not succeed, but they did try. Um, they tried to sort of get every document that we've ever obtained about the company. Um, and okay, so very briefly, so how is Clearview used sort of in, in, in policing? This is an email that we obtained and uh, this is a uh, romance scam investigation. And the police department says, you know, here's a photo. And I think that this person's Instagram is here. And his, another website associated with this person might be here. Good luck. And by the way, we, you can use this Instagram post to subpoena Instagram and try to find his IP address and find out who he is. Um, if you go to his Instagram, there's photos of his children available. Um, so clearly, you know, very deeply personal information. Um, another example is uh, a, a reporter at CNN uh, had his photo ran through Clearview, and they found a photo of him when he was 15 years old at like a rugby club, right? Um, and so, um, you know, thinking about it, I, I don't think it's good or fair to say that it is a facial recognition vendor, but something like more akin to a mass surveillance system. Um, and let me give you a few examples. In one example, Clearview uh, was used by the founder uh, to impress an investor. The investor uh, had his daughter walk into a restaurant. She, he didn't recognize her, the date, uh, took a photo of, of the person, and was able to find out his name um, sort of in real time with, with some images of where he, you know, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, and, and things like that. Um, and so when you think about the kind of information that's being collected and where it's being collected from, um, you know, with Facebook, you can find a person's friends and family. Uh, with Instagram, you can find, uh, you know, places that they visit, places that they vacation, communities that they're involved in. Uh, LinkedIn, you can find out where a person works. Um, you know, you can find out hobbies, recreations, the rugby club, and you know, when I when we go back to this image where you're talking about an Instagram post, um, I think what we're talking about is really kind of a fundamental shift of of privacy in ways that we're kind of not ready to deal with. Um, and so the way I think about it now is that you're tracking uh, clear. What Clearview does is that it tracks a person's historic and current internet sort of use over time using their biometrics as sort of selectors in the same way that like the NSA would use phone numbers or emails or the FBI would use, you know, again, uh, social security numbers to track a person over time, right? If you know someone's uh, social security number, you could find out, you know, what bank they use, all, all sorts of things, right? And the fact that you can use a person's face to track this over time, I think, is is a fundamental shift in privacy that, that we, our, our society, is not ready to grapple with. Um, and to use the example again about uh, identifying 
you know, someone's date, right? The fact that you can have this technology um, means that a stalker, rogue law enforcement, foreign spies uh, can abuse these kinds of technologies uh, in ways that I think, you know, <laughs> really should concern us, right? Imagine that you're a foreign diplomat trying to work overseas and someone can take a photo of you at passport control and, you know, pull up your college, you know, yearbook photo and your interests in, in you know, diplomatic services or law enforcement or whatever it is. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I think that this is the central thesis that I've sort of come to, is that we are just not ready to deal with this, um, this kind of long-term tracking using biometrics. Um, you know, fingerprints maybe are a little bit more localized, but the fact that you can do this with a face um, at scale um, on the internet with 10 billion images is sort of kind of unprecedented. Um, so uh, what can we do about this? Um, you, know, uh, you know, we've long advocated for a full moratorium on the use of facial recognition technology by the federal government. Um, the Fourth Amendment is Not For Sale Act would prohibit uh, law uh, federal agencies from buying data that was obtained against the terms of services uh, of another company. So in this case, Clearview uh, violated Facebook's, Twitter's terms of services um, when they collected those images and started selling it, right? So something like the Fourth Amendment for, is not for sale act would go a long way in um, preventing abuse. And we've seen a lot of efforts on, the, on a local and state level to regulate facial recognition technology. Um, mo and, and a lot of that has been a consequence of investigative journalism. Um, and so with that, I will just say, you know, gratitude to a lot of people who have helped these investigations, particularly my, my colleague Beryl in the crowd who, who did a lot of work with us. Um, and yes, thank you for having us. <clears throat> Thanks so much, uh, Freddie, and of course all our speakers today. Uh, and thank you uh, for joining us for this uh, first virtual version of the Cato Surveillance Conference. Uh, alas, even virtual speakers must eat, so we're going to take a, uh, a break for lunch uh, right now. But uh, please do uh, return and join us uh, in an hour uh, right at 1 p.m. when we will have a, uh, what should be a fascinating dialogue on the connection between anonymity and free speech. Uh, and then followed that, uh, following that, uh, what should also be a pretty interesting uh, demonstration uh, live of hacking uh, devices on the Internet of Things uh, and precisely how vulnerable they can be, along with uh, more uh, flash talks coming up on a variety of topics. That's all after lunch. Please do join us at 1 p.m. Thank you. <laughs>